Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Friday, December 11th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be chatting today about my picks, my thoughts, my leans for week 14 in the Circus Sports Million with my ATS.io-2 entry. Only 20 picks left to go here in this year's edition of the Circus Sports Million, and we'll run through what's happening in the contest and also give you my thoughts here for this weekend in the NFL over at ATS.io, lots of great stuff going on. Good sportsbook promotions available here for this weekend at the various sportsbooks that we partner with over at ATS.io. We encourage you to head over there, read our picks and predictions, read the promotions articles, and of course, take advantage of all of the content that's over there at the website. If you're in the market for a new sportsbook, we've got sportsbook reviews from various different places across the industry, coverage of legalized sports betting in a lot of different states coverage of industry news as well lots of things going on over at ats.io for you to check out as well as the articles the recap articles for our editions of ats radio if you missed anything here throughout the week you can go back and get that over at the website or of course if you subscribe to the show you'll never miss anything you can find us on spreaker stitcher spotify itunes iHeartRadio, google Podcasts, soundcloud wherever you stream and download your podcast content. Also, make sure you download the ATS app. That is a really powerful tool to have at your fingertips. It's an odd screen with odds from the legal U.S. sportsbooks. It's a bet tracker, so you can follow along with the plays that you've made, follow along with plays of friends. You can even send messages to different people that you follow in that app. And of course, too, Full article integration from ATS.io into that Against the Spread app. You find that in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store, or head over to ATS.io on your mobile device, click on the ATS app page, and then when you click the button, whether you have an Android or an iOS device, it will take you to a direct link in the store so that you can download the app right away without having to search for it. And if you do search for it, in either one of those stores, make sure you search against the spread instead of ATS, which ATS is a pretty popular acronym out there uh, in the app world. All right, so with that, week 14 is upon us here in the Circus Sports Million 2. My ATS.io-2 entry now 38-26-1, and 5-0 last week. Got that 5-0 game with Washington on Monday Night Football over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look, maybe got a little bit fortunate last week. The Colts with that fumble inside the five to prevail over the Texans. Uh, The Dolphins, they win 19 to seven, had all kinds of red zone issues, but they managed to cover 11 and a half. So you got to pick pretty well in this thing, but you also got to run pretty good in this contest and a couple of good winners uh, on the fortunate side for me last week, but also some decent handicapping in the other games as well. So 38-26-1 going into week 14. That puts me one point out of the money in the Circus Sports Million. So hoping for a big week here, not just because it's week 14 and because I'm doing pretty well with regards to the full season standings, but also because last week was the first week of the fourth quarter, the fourth and final quarter in the Circus Sports Million. 187,000 for first, 75 for second, 25 for third. 177 entries went 5-0 and in week 13, including mine. I had a 5-0 and earlier this season in week 5 to open up the second quarter. 197 entries went 5-0 and that week. So 
it'd be nice to get one of those five and O's on a week when the field struggles a little bit, but look, you know, you never want to take any five and O card for granted in any of these contests or with your personal NFL handicapping. So uh, hopefully can continue those positive fortunes here in week 14. The ATS.io-1 entry, now 34 and 31, coming off of a 3-2 and two showing in week 13. We did have a disagreement in last week's games. We do have a side bet, a drink side bet. Uh, four games where the Dash 1 and Dash 2 entries have a disagreement. That was in the Arizona and Los Angeles Rams game last week. Rams with the win and cover. So I now leave the drink bets side bet 5-3. to three. Uh, so I don't know if we're just doing one drink overall, if we're doing uh, drinks for each game that you win by. I don't know, but uh, we'll see if we have any disagreements here in week 14. Last week in the Circa, the field 55.62%, the first winning week for the field since week seven, and the fourth best showing of the season. The top five consensus went 5-0, and a big reason why there were 177 5-0 cards in the circle last week top five consensus now on the season 34 and 31 the consensus the most selected side in each game went 10 and 4 the consensus now 90 93 and 5 and for the season here 49.61 percent overall for the circus sports million field again as i mentioned last week snapped a string of five straight losing weeks in the contest and they weren't just losing weeks like barely on the wrong side of 50%. There were some really ugly weeks in there. I believe every week under 48% in that span. So nice to see the field get a little bit better there in week 13. We'll see what happens here in week 14. Presence dash two back in the lead with 45 points. Chicken dinner dash one and DSR 90 dash one tied for second. Just a half point back with 44 and a half points. ODBMG2, who is the leader in the Super Contest, tied for fourth with DV8-1 with 44 points. So things are very, very tight at the top of the Circa. Of course, as I said, my entry, a point out of the money. So the cutoff for the money here, which is the top 50 plus ties, 39 and a half points. So a lot of work to do for me, a lot of work to do for a lot of the other entries that are out there. And I might as well give a shout out to Buckeye Nation-3, who's Uh, In the lead right now for the booby prize, $100,000 for making all 85 picks and having the lowest success rate, the lowest number of points. So uh, good luck to Buckeye Nation continuing that here uh, for this week. Over in the Super Contest, as I said, ODBMG2, still the leader over there with 46 points. Yugo77 went 5-0 last week to jump into second place. That's second place with 42.5 points. So a three and a half point lead for ODBMG2, who went four and one uh, in last week's action. Chasman moves up to third with 41 and a half points. There was some movement, not necessarily at the top in the super contest, but the top five, the top 10, the top 15, a little bit of a shuffling going on there last week. So uh, we'll see what happens here in week 14. 46 entries went five and oh in the super contest to start the fourth quarter. That only runs through week 16. In the Circa, it goes through the end of the regular season. In the Super Contest, it only goes through week 16. So the best score over 20 picks in the Super Contest for quarter four, the best score over 25 picks in quarter four for the Circa. 
The cutoff for the money in the Super Contest right now, 37 points. Cutoff for the top 50, which is where you actually make money based on your buy-in, 38 points over in the Super Contest. So I haven't looked to see what you know my record would be with Super Contest lines as opposed to Circa lines, which are a little bit different. Uh, but you know, I would uh, be in the money or a little bit closer to it. Uh, actually, I would be in the money in the Super Contest with 38 and a half points. Uh, but, you know, again, the Circa, a uh, much larger field, uh, 3,148 entries compared to 1,172. Top 50 in the Circa versus top 100 in the Super Contest. So we'll see how it all plays out. But, uh, you know, again, at least it's nice to have some sweats here at this time of the year. And knock on wood, hopefully I can keep pushing forward in this contest as far as the super contest though 50.5 percent in week 13 49.34 for the season top five went four and one last week now 32 33 and one because two picks tied in week 10 for the fifth most popular side one one and one lost consensus last week though just six and nine over in the super contest so 10 and four in the circa six and nine in the super contest that was kind of interesting 90, 96, and four for the season. So week 14 almost started for me on Thursday night. I agonized for a good hour and a half, a good 90 minutes last night before our deadline to submit the picks to the proxy at 6 p.m. Eastern time as to whether or not I wanted to take the Rams. And I talked about this on the show throughout the week that I like the Rams at minus six. Then the line got bet down to four and a half and did have a personal play on the Rams at four and a half, did get the win pretty easily in that one. But when it comes to the Circa, you have to have all five of your selections ready to go on Thursday if you want to play the Thursday game. So I spent 90 minutes feverishly looking at the games that I like, looking at the injury reports and the stats and all of the capping that I usually do in preparation for this segment and for the the week card. And I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't pull the trigger on it. I couldn't put in all five plays. Now, if COVID had popped up and there was a game that wasn't played by the 2 a.m. Pacific time deadline on Tuesday, it's a push in the Circa. So, I don't know if I was necessarily that worried about that. And also to the NFL really tried to do everything that it can to push forward here at this point in time. But, you know, it just, it it didn't feel right to me. And, and, you know, I know that you really want to go by what's quantifiable in this business. And I thought that the Rams at four and a half was a very, very good play. And I talked to some people that I respect kind of asking them, you know, what's the deal with this line move? What do you make of this line move? Is there something that I'm not seeing? Is there something that, you know, isn't clicking for me? And I never really got an answer back that should have taken me off of the Rams. And it just really boiled down to the fact that, you know, I haven't even looked at using a Thursday game in the Circa this year, with the exception of Thanksgiving week, just because there were three of them to choose from. Well, and then it wound up, of course, being two to choose from. So I think in the four or five years that I've done these contests, two years in the Circa and you know probably four or so years in the Super Contest, I've maybe taken a Thursday game once or twice. You know, it's a very difficult thing to do with the importance of injury reports. And, you know, also too, these are stale lines. You know, they come out on Wednesday for the Super Contest. 
on Thursday for the Circa. So, you know, some people will grab that stale line value. And those are things that can kind of shape and mold, you know, the top five consensus and stuff like that. So what you do in taking a Thursday game is you give up the opportunity to have, you know, essentially 48 hours or so to get more information on what the market is doing, what the injury reports look like and all of that. So I agonized. I mean, I sat here, I I almost made myself sick to my stomach just sitting here trying to figure out what to do with the Rams because another piece of advice that I got, you know, in, in texting somebody was look at this stage of the game, you take your five best plays. You know, you don't worry necessarily about what you lose potentially by putting in that Thursday game if you really like it. You've just got to really like it. And I did really, really like the Rams, and I would be 1-0 to start this week here in the Circa, but wound up not playing it. And and, and right now on Friday morning, it feels like a a really lost opportunity. In fact, to be totally honest with you, when the 6 p.m. deadline passed, it was 6.05 and I'm sitting there thinking the Rams are already winning and covering, you know, it it just kind of felt like that. It just sort of felt like one of the most obvious plays we've seen in the NFL this year, but I couldn't do it, you know? And, And now what I have to do is I have to try and push that out of my mind and not let that affect me and impact me here with my handicapping of the other five plays uh, that I'm looking at for week 14. So I said, you know, I, I usually never look at that Thursday game. There are a lot of reasons not to look at it during a COVID season. And ultimately I decided that I didn't want to deviate from what has worked, but you know, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe that's something that, you know, I, I should have um, done differently. You know, I don't know. We'll see what happens here with the Sunday card. It would be very nice to be one and oh at this point in time, but you know, I've got some plays that I do like here for this week. And, you know, it's part of the strategy here in this contest. You know, again, everything seems so cut and dry. Pick five NFL games against stale numbers. Oh, how hard can that be? It's pretty damn difficult. You know, you got to decide if you want to take the line value from the stale number to what the market shows now. If you, you know, um, want to consider certain injuries, if you want to speculate on certain injuries and game time decisions and all of that, not to mention, it's very, very hard to find five sides that you like in the NFL every single week. A lot of people play a lot of totals in the NFL. You can't do totals here in the Circa Millions. So, you know, again, I mean, if you don't take that Thursday game, if there are no bye weeks, you got to pick a third of the sides. And, you know, that's tough. So we'll see what happens here this week. Hopefully it's not a lost opportunity. Hopefully I can just go ahead and have a good week in spite of it. But I'd be lying if I said it wasn't something that's on my mind here uh, as I you know go through my final breakdowns of this week's card. On the plus side for you as a listener here of the show, I had five plays ready to go. The Rams were one of them. I had four other sides that I was looking at, and now I've got a couple of leans here. So unless something drastically changes between now and when our picks are due to the proxy at 3 p.m. Eastern or 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, this is probably the four of the five plays that I'm going to go with here for this week. So you can fade me, you can follow me, you can hate on what I'm talking about, you can use it as food for thought, whatever you want. But here are some of the thoughts I've got for week 14. And we start with number 15 in the Circa Sports Million rotation order. And I do go by rotation order here. I don't go by you know ranking the picks in the order that I like them or anything like that. Just going by rotation number here. 
And that is number 15, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, minus six and a half against the Minnesota Vikings. And to me, this feels like a get-right spot for the Bucs. And I've talked about how, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the bye week has kind of been a detriment for a lot of teams. I think for Tampa Bay, it's a positive. They had to play 12 weeks in a row. You know, they had to play 12 weeks in a row with a quarterback on the wrong side of 40. They had to play 12 weeks in a row with shuffling on the offensive line, Godwin being in and out, Evans being on and off the injury report, all that kind of thing, some injuries on defense, stuff like that. I think the bye week is a good thing for Tampa Bay. This is still a very good team. And I was skeptical, and you know, I've, I've picked against the Buccaneers a few times here of late. I was against them with the Rams, and I was against them with the Chiefs. And I got one of those, and I didn't get the other one, and I probably should have gotten Kansas City when you look at how that box score played out. So to me, the idea that I isolated Tampa Bay right away says a lot because this is a team that I have faded a few times here recently, but now I'm looking to buy them in this spot coming off of the buy. And again, from a statistical standpoint, especially from an advanced metric standpoint like DVOA, this is a very good football team that I felt like I've had some opportunities to go against. In this spot, though, I think this is a chance to be on Tampa Bay. And something else I've talked about with the Buccaneers this season is that I think when they play a superior team, they have issues. You know, they've lost to the Saints twice. They lost to Kansas City. They lost to the Rams, who I think are the second best team in the NFC. But what the Bucs can also do is push around inferior teams. And I think that the Vikings are an inferior team and maybe by a pretty decent margin, depending on how this matchup sort of plays out and how the Bucs look coming off of the bye from a health standpoint. When you look at the Vikings here, they've struggled lately. You know, when I was on Jacksonville last week, just on the simple fact that the Vikings don't create margin, they play down to their competition. If they play up to the Bucs here and wind up covering this number, it kind of is what it is. But the last few weeks, they've struggled with the Jaguars and the Panthers and the Cowboys and the Bears. And they had to be plus three in turnovers against the Lions, you know, to win that game by a little bit of margin. So the Vikings have been better since the bye, but there is a lot to dislike here about this team. Recently, they've had a very heavy reliance on Kirk Cousins. And we know that Kirk Cousins can get very jumpy in the face of pressure. The Buccaneers fourth in pressure percentage this year, sixth in sacks. They can get after the quarterback. They should have a very good game plan here against Kirk Cousins. Last week for the Vikings, Alexander Madison didn't play. I haven't seen an update on his status yet uh, as of this week, but Delvin Cook is not 100%. And they talked about this last week. Uh, Some of the Vikings beat writers discussed this, that Delvin Cook's been banged up. You know, he's bumped and bruised, and Madison doesn't play. And last week, Cook had 32 carries in that overtime win over Jacksonville. So to me, I think this is a spot where everything kind of comes to a head. I think Tampa Bay is in a get-right spot. I think Minnesota, off of playing a lot of close games, is in a spot to have a dud of a performance. Long travel, tough matchup for Cousins, tough matchup for this Minnesota defense. Again, I think that the bye has been a detriment for a lot of teams, but I believe it's a positive here for Tampa Bay. So give me the Buccaneers, minus six and a half, number 15 in the Circa Million rotation order. Next up for me here is number 20. The Las Vegas Raiders are plus two and a half against the Indianapolis Colts. 
And yes, obviously I wish this line was three, but I think the Raiders win this game outright. So I'll go ahead and take the two and a half here. And I talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. And I think I talked about it uh, earlier in the week on Tuesday's show with Brian Blessing as well, where to me, this spot sets up a lot like what Tennessee faced last week against the Browns with regards to the Colts. The Colts have played a lot of emotional, close games. They played Tennessee twice. They played Houston in a division game last week that they probably should have lost. This feels like a spot here where the Colts could be in a little bit of a tough situation with the long travel out to Las Vegas and with a lot of close, important games here of late. They had that comeback against Green Bay in the second half. I was on the Packers and that one felt pretty good about that game at halftime. Indianapolis roars back, finds a way to win. They've played a lot of close games here. The Raiders... Okay, fine. They should have lost to the Jets. And if I'm going to sit there and poke holes in the Colts who should have lost to the Texans, I obviously have to remember how the, or, you know, mention how the Raiders should have lost to the Jets. However, I think it's more of a positive for the Raiders because they did win. And the manner in which they won, that saved their playoff hopes. Now they have a second life, a second wind. They're coming back home where they've played quite well, actually at Allegiant Stadium here so far, Colts in back-to-back road games. And again, for the Colts, you know, I could sit there and say, okay, well, you know, that saved their playoff hopes, getting that fumble against Houston. Yeah, maybe, but that feels like you survived. For the Raiders, they feel like they won. And I think that there is a mental difference. You can't quantify it. It's one of those intangible types of things. But I think that there is something to be said about that. So I think the Raiders are actually in a decent mindset here this week, whereas the Colts, who have really not played a very good game the last three weeks since that win over Tennessee, I think they kind of look at themselves and say, you know, what's wrong here? What do we need to fix? Whereas I think the Raiders go, all right, we're back in it. You know, let's just have a good week of practice and, you know, get a big win here against a team that we're jockeying for playoff position with. And if you look a little bit more, a little bit more statistically here, instead of some of these intangible angles, In a lot of ways, the Colts have played the worst schedule in the NFL, and they played the worst slate of defenses in the NFL by a lot of different sources as well. And when you look at the Colts here this season, with all those bad defenses, they're a very average offense. There's really nothing spectacular about what they do offensively, and they've had the opportunity to play a very weak schedule here. And I know that the Raiders are not a good defensive team either, But the Colts have been a pedestrian offense with a really beneficial schedule. So why would they go out there this week against the Raiders and and hang 30 or 40 points or something like that, which I think that they'll need to do if they're going to win this game. So the Raiders here, they've scored on 48% of their possessions this season. They're 48.7% on third down, whereas the Colts are 36.8% on third down. And again, we've got a game here where the total's starting to move up. We've got a sentiment that speaks to a higher scoring expectation. And if that's what we're going to get here, give me the team that's scored on almost half of its possessions. Give me the team that stays on the field offensively at a very, very high rate, one of the best rates in the NFL. That's the Las Vegas Raiders. So Raiders plus two and a half, number 20 in the circuit rotation order is my second very likely pick here for week 14. Next up on the board for me, number 27, the San Francisco 49ers are a three-point favorite 
against the Washington football team. Again, looking at this from a situational standpoint, give you some food for thought here. Third straight road game for Washington. Also their fourth road game in five weeks. So that's an interesting spot. Also third straight road game coming off of playing Monday against Pittsburgh. Now long travel out to Arizona. This game, of course, being in a neutral setting with the 49ers not able to play at home. So a very challenging spot here for Washington, I think, in a lot of ways. The last three weeks, Washington's had 325, 338, 318 yards, and they've won all three of those games. So they are very, very heavily reliant on their defense right now. And I think that when you're in a lot of those close games where you have to put it on the shoulders of your defense, I think it's really, really challenging. And furthermore, you know, the game that they beat Cincinnati in where Joe Burrow got hurt, Cincinnati was the better team in that game before Burrow went out. And I know that Washington just beat Pittsburgh. Very good win for them. Terrible spot for Pittsburgh. I think we can all kind of draw something of a line through that performance for the Steelers. But I will talk about them again here in a second. But I think Washington is artificially inflated here. And I think what's really interesting is the Giants profile pretty close to the same as Washington in a lot of ways. But we're seeing the market bet against the Giants this week with the Cardinals taking money on the road, and we're not seeing it here with Washington. And I think that's something that's pretty strange to me. It's kind of a red flag. My spidey senses, so to speak, are tingling about that. I think that people are disrespecting the 49ers here. Think about last week, right? The 49ers took a ton of money for that game against Buffalo. And then they lost the game and they didn't play particularly well in the process. So all of that money on the 49ers that was wrong in last week's game, it's not there this week. The 49ers closed about a two and a half point favorite against Buffalo, two or two and a half. Now they're only a three point favorite in the same setting against Washington. Who in the hell has Buffalo a point better than Washington on a neutral field? I mean, it's not even close. So there's a mispricing here in this game. And I also think, too, it helps the 49ers to play a second straight game in Arizona, to be there, be settled in, all that kind of thing. I think that benefits them a little bit here, too. Washington has played several teams in a row that simply cannot run the football. They didn't do well stopping the run earlier on in the season when they dug themselves a hole. So I think that's something that benefits San Francisco a little bit here. San Francisco is not a playoff team, but this is a game they have to have if they want any shot at it. And a great angle discussed yesterday on the show by Brad Powers that Kyle Shanahan hates the Washington organization. He hates that team. And now he's got a chance to play spoiler. You know, we'll see what the Giants do in the early game against the Cardinals, but he's got a chance to really deal Washington a big time blow, depending on what happens in that first game. The Giants have the two head-to-head wins. They've got the tiebreaker, all that. I think that's a motivating factor for Shanahan in terms of the game planning here for this one. So he is fully locked in. And the 49ers here, look, in spite of all the injuries, in spite of COVID, in spite of all the problems that they've had, they are still plus 0.4 in yards per play on the season. They profile much better than a 5-7 and team. And quite frankly, I think this is the first game for San Francisco against an inferior opponent since week seven when they rocked the Patriots on the road. In Since then, they've played Buffalo, the Rams, the Saints, the Packers, 
and the Seahawks. So the 49ers have played a very, very difficult schedule, to say the least. Now they got a chance, I think, to put one on somebody, and I think they will do it. So 49ers minus three, number 27 in the circle rotation order, the third of my very likely picks here for this week's show. And the last one of the very likely picks, number 29, the Buffalo Bills minus two and a half. I've been talking about this a lot, that uh, the Bills are for real, and the Steelers, while they're not a pretender, they're not as good as their record would indicate. And the Bills are on the move, man. This offense is going in the right direction. They've figured out how to run it if they need to, and they may need to here this week uh, with some possible weather factors up in Western New York. But the big thing for me is that this defense is getting healthier. You know, Trey White's been back. Josh Norman's been back. Uh, Matt Milano came back last week and Milano looked the part, you know, didn't play a ton of snaps or anything like that, but looked the part, looked healthy when he was out there on the field. So you got a Bills offense that's playing at a very high level right now and a Bills defense that's gotten healthier. And that's been the problem area for them here so far this season. But now they've got guys back. Now they're in a much stronger position as far as I'm concerned. And the Steelers offense, and again, I've talked about this a lot here. Their offense is just pedestrian, man. It's average. 24th in yards per play, 15th in pass DVOA, 30th in run DVOA. They're not going to be able to keep up with the Bills here in this game. The Bills have a top 10 offense. I know the run game is a little bit iffy, but Brian Dable has been scripting really, really well. The Bills are number one in the NFL in third down conversion rate. And a big part of that is personnel, but a big part of that is also play selection and design. And the one thing that we know about Pittsburgh is that, and Joe Hayden could miss this game, by the way, is that if they don't get to the quarterback, if they're not in the quarterback's face, they will give up some yards in the secondary. And the Bills were the best teams in the NFL this season at creating separation. So as long as Allen has time, and I think that he will, with some of the losses for Pittsburgh here to injury over the last few weeks, I think Buffalo moves the ball efficiently and effectively in this game. The Steelers' presser percentage has been dropping of late. The Bills have five more turnovers on offense than the Steelers, but they've scored on 48.8% of their possessions. The Steelers have only scored on 40.3. So I think a lot of things are pointing in Buffalo's direction here. I also believe this will be a top five consensus play. So I'm not looking to fade the consensus or anything like that. I'm just trying to pick winners at this point in time. I'm not worried about the fact that I'm not going to be surprised if the Bills are the most popular team in the contest here this week. I just look at all the clues that we've got for this game. And everything about this tells me that the Bills are the right side. And usually when you see something like a five-point adjustment off of the look-ahead line, where it was Steelers minus two and a half, got moved to pick, or Buffalo minus one. Now Buffalo's two and a half or two out there. Usually that feels like an overreaction, but in this case, it doesn't. To me, this speaks to the direction that these two teams are going in. Buffalo is going up. Pittsburgh is going down. So give me the Bills minus two and a half, number 29 in the Circus Sports Million rotation order. And my four very likely picks here for this week, Buccaneers minus six and a half, Raiders plus two and a half, 49ers minus three, Bills minus two and a half. 
So because I didn't lock my plays in on Thursday and take the Rams, I've got to find another game. And this was something that I gave a lot of consideration to last night was I'm going to have to take a game that I don't like as much as the Rams. And I decided that it wasn't necessarily worth the risk from the COVID standpoint, from the market standpoint to see, you know, what's going to have line value, this and that. In retrospect, I wish I would have taken the Rams, especially with how easy that game played out, but it's in the past now. So now I have to figure out which remaining game on the card do I like enough to put in place of that Rams game. So I've got two considerations here on the show for today. I'm still sorting my way through the remainder of the games. I really like the four plays that I have suggested so far, but I got to figure out one more. Which one is it going to be? And I've got two considerations here as of now. And of course, we'll see what happens before the 4 p.m. deadline to send picks to our proxy. But number three, the Green Bay Packers are an eight-point favorite against the Detroit Lions. And this is a big number. And this is a spot, we talked about this game a lot on the show here this week, where Packers teasers are going to be very obvious, whether it's minus one and a half or minus two, they're going to be a very popular play. The Packers this season, 2.91 points per drive. That's second only to the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Lions are 19th. The Packers are the top red zone team in the NFL, and this is a game with a high-scoring expectation. I think Detroit's 12th, by the way. This is a game with a high-scoring expectation. So I've got a team that's second in points per drive and a team that leads the NFL in red zone touchdown efficiency. So I have a clearly better offensive team in the Packers here with what is expected to be a high-scoring game in a controlled environment at Ford Field. Now, the Lions won last week, and kudos to them for that. They also trailed by 10 late in that game, had to score a touchdown, get a Trubisky fumble, and then cash in on the short field. And then the Bears even got into scoring position but they wound up turning it over on downs uh, late in the fourth quarter in that one. So the Lions won, but it wasn't that impressive of a performance, to say the least. The Bears in that game gained the most yards they've gained in a game since week three. So when I look at Chicago, it really makes me wonder here how bad, just how bad is this Detroit Lions defense? And if this Detroit Lions defense is that bad, and it certainly appears to be, what are the Packers going to do to them when the Bears just marched up and down the field on them? So I don't know how the Lions get stops in this game. I really have no idea. The Packers will probably score on 85% of their possessions in this game, if not more. So is that enough to lay the minus eight here? And I do think that it is. So this is a game that's on my short list here where this would not surprise me if this is like a 41-28, 45-28 type of game where Green Bay goes out there, has some fun, puts up a bunch of numbers. The only thing that concerns me a little bit is that Green Bay plays from in front. You know, I've talked about this a lot. Matt LaFleur's scripted plays have an excellent success rate. They are one of the best first quarter teams in the NFL. They're one of the best first quarter teams last year. So the question becomes, if the Packers get up big in this game, can they salt this one away with the run? Will Rodgers keep throwing? Will they go ahead and hang one on the Lions just because they can? I don't know the answer to that question, 
But the back door is a concern here with this big number of eight and with the fact that the Packers may have a big lead, may go into a shell, may go into prevent defense, all of that. They should win this game comfortably. They should have no excuses. So Packers minus eight on my short list. But again, I want to look a little bit more and see, you know, how they've kind of done in this role with LaFleur, the big favorite role, all that kind of thing, kind of get some more of my ducks in a row before I lock in the last, uh, you know, of what's likely to be my five picks here. The other one that's on my list is the Browns. Number 32 in the circuit rotation order. They are plus one against the Baltimore Ravens. This line is two, two and a half out there in the marketplace now. So getting a bad number here on Cleveland, basically need them to win the game outright in order to cover this spread. The Browns are going in the right direction. And I don't believe that the Ravens are. And I know the first game was 38 to six, and it was not a great look for Cleveland. That was also Kevin Stefanski's first game where Baker Mayfield's got another new play caller and another new head coach. The defense was kind of in shambles from injuries during training camp in the secondary. Not that the secondary looks that great going into this game, but they were playing musical chairs in the secondary in week one. John Harbaugh's teams are always ready for the season. They are the best preseason team in the NFL, and they're probably the best week one team in the NFL as well. They are always ready. The Browns were not ready, and it showed. And in that first game, the Browns minus two in turnover margin, three turnovers on downs in that game. They had a fake punt early on in the game that didn't work out at all. That led to a short field goal for Baltimore. Uh, And the Browns just, you know, they played from behind throughout that entire game. Also in that first meeting, all Cleveland drives in week one started at their own 25-yard line or worse. The Ravens started three drives in Cleveland territory, one at midfield, had a 69-yard touchdown drive and a 99-yard touchdown drive. Baltimore was much better on special teams in that game as well. They had some good kick returns, stuff like that. The Browns, as I mentioned, had that failed fake punt. A lot of things basically went wrong for the Browns in that game. And I think you can draw a line through it, and I think you can cross it out because, again, that was Kevin Stefanski's first game. We didn't really know what to expect for the Browns. Now we have a better idea of what the Browns are. In that first game, Baker targeted Odell Beckham Jr. 10 times, and he only had three catches. Odell Beckham Jr. is no longer playing for the Browns because he tore his ACL. The last interception for Baker was a downfield target of Odell. Since Odell got hurt in that Bengals game at the Browns 135-31, Baker's got an 11-0 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. The Ravens don't get a ton of pressure. They're middle of the pack in that department. The Browns have matchup nightmares at tight end with Bryant. They've been using Njoku more. They've got Austin Hooper fully worked into the equation now. The Browns are a lot more creative play calling. I love what I've seen from them from a play design standpoint. You know, last week, they line up Jarvis Landry at running back. He leaks through the line. He's wide open by five yards on the sideline after motioning back into the backfield. They've done some throws with Landry, things that maybe aren't high percentage looks, but they're at least something that, you know, takes the defense out of the norm a little bit. They run the football well. You can't single cover any of their tight ends. They've found a lot of mismatch opportunities and Baker's made throws. Baker looks and feels comfortable in this offense. And something else I think about this too 
is that when I look back to week one, the Browns were very vanilla. I mean, they were like pasty white kind of vanilla, almost you know transparently vanilla in that game. So Harbaugh has not really seen this version of the Browns. The Browns have all kinds of film of themselves and of their personnel against the Ravens. But the Ravens have not seen this edition of the Browns. And there are so many different wrinkles to this offense now, this Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt offense, that I think the Browns can move the ball with success here. I don't think Lamar Jackson can exploit some of the injuries in the secondary, and the Browns may even get Denzel Ward back on Monday with that extra day of prep. So I think these two teams are just in very, very different situations. And I think this line move is, again, pointing out the weak schedule that the Browns have played. And I understand that. And I understand that, you know, you take the Browns in a bigger favorite role like last week, as opposed to a coin flip or a favorite type situation like this week. But I just think in watching this team, in watching, you know, what they're actually doing, how detail-oriented they are, I think they win this game. So Browns plus one, number 32 in the circuit rotation order is the second of my leans here that I'm deciding on to put together my five play cards. So the four very likely picks from me, Bucks minus six and a half, Raiders plus two and a half, 49ers minus three, Bills minus two and a half, and the two leans on the card for me, Packers minus eight and Browns plus one. So again, one point out of the money heading into week 14. Hopefully this will be another positive week for me. Hopefully I don't uh, regret not taking the Rams on Thursday night. Hopefully you got some good insight and some good information and food for thought here on this Friday edition of ATS Radio as well. Coming up on Monday, we'll do my solo college football segment, power ratings adjustments, box score notes, a look at the market. Probably will be a little bit shorter of a show because we don't have as many games in college football, but everything else for the remainder of next week will be as expected and as usual on our editions of the podcast here. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a happy, healthy, smart, safe weekend, and I will talk to you again on Monday.